Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Here we go. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate that. On this Earth Day, we've been hearing uh, from several uh, ag groups about uh, their efforts towards sustainability and reducing carbon footprint. Agriculture has a great story to tell. We'll hear from the dairy industry today, Paul Bleiberg with the National Milk Producers Federation will be joining us. Also today, we're going to talk about a lot of the uh, climate proposals uh, that are out there. We're going to talk with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Uh, we now have uh, USDA uh, trying to attract more acres into CRP, putting more money into that program. Uh, we have the president uh, committing to cut greenhouse gas emissions in half over the next decade. Uh, we'll be talking about those kind of proposals uh, coming up a little bit later on. And also, any damage to the winter wheat crop from this uh, cold snap this week, we'll talk with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, a little bit later in the program. But let's start it off with... Uh, Chuck Connor, he's president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, thank you for joining us. I just uh, got uh, saw this note that the Senate Ag Committee has approved the Growing Climate Solutions Act by unanimous voice vote. What are your thoughts on this on this bill? Well, thanks for having me, Mike. And and I will just tell you, it's it's been quite an environmental week here in Washington. Um, it's just seemed to dominate the news, climate, sustainability on, on every single front, uh, including passage of the Growing Climate Solutions Act today. Uh, this is a bipartisan bill, as is demonstrated by the voice vote. Uh, ranking member Bozeman, who was hesitant at first, was accommodated on many of his uh, plans to you know, greater incorporate uh, farmers and USDA in the decision-making process relative to climate and and. It's, you know, when when in today's world, when something passes by unanimous consent in Washington, like, you know, they've scrubbed it pretty heavily and, you know, there's very broad support. So uh, this is a good bill. We support it. And I suspect it's going to go to the Senate for passage uh, pretty quickly. Now, we'll see what happens on the Senate floor. We'll see what happens in the House because there's been some... Um concerns raised even in the house ag committee about it uh i've seen mixed reaction from the environmental community as well so obviously it's got a ways to go and some hurdles to cross it does um mike and as you know there's an extreme element to the environmental community out there that is never going to be satisfied uh you know they they do not like uh, our agricultural system and, and you know that's just unfortunate but at the same time, they're there, and, and, you know, you have to deal with it. This is a reasonable bill uh, created by reasonable people who support farmers, who support our great agricultural system in this country, and they just simply want to improve it and, and encourage farmers to, you know, to do their very best relative to climate, but not in a way that is in any way going to be the heavy hand of government. So there's always going to be differences with that extreme element, but uh, that doesn't reflect, I don't think, a majority in Congress today. What do you think are the are the biggest strengths of this bill from an agricultural standpoint? Uh, what, what what is it that that you uh, like about it to make you want to that makes you uh, support it? 
Well, um, I, I really like the changes that were made to uh, greater, uh, more greatly incorporate farmers into the, uh, you know, process of uh, going forward. Mm-hmm forward with any kind of carbon banking. Uh, I think you've got to have the producer's perspective here. This can't be done by academics or environmentalists. You know, you need the people with boots on the ground, and this bill does that uh, in terms of getting more farmers involved. I think, you know, overall, what we're struggling with here a little bit, Mike, on carbon is, you know, there just needs to be a lot more work done on, you know, what I would call metrics, um, you know, standards of measurements, you know, the differences between uh, practices in one region of the country versus the other. I mean, we just need a lot of data and analysis in order to make sure that to, in our carbon efforts that, you know, that we're doing this fairly and that uh, whether it's government dollars or private dollars that people are actually getting something for what they spend, that the farmers are not being, you know, treated uh, disproportionately on you know, across the county or across the state line or something like that. There just needs to be a lot of work. Uh, this bill moves us in that direction, uh, particularly dovetails nicely, I think, with Vilsack's desire to have some uh, pilot projects here. And, and you know, this the, the reason for the bipartisan support is this is a reasonable approach. It goes slowly. It doesn't sort of throw farmers into turmoil here relative to carbon and I just think that's the best way to handle it, and that's why we've been supportive. Meanwhile, the president is committing the the United States to a goal of cutting greenhouse gas emissions in half over the next decade. Uh, but uh, as so as with so many of these programs, when they're announced, we don't have a lot of details. So, uh, and those details are obviously going to be very important. That's why a bill like this becomes even more important. It would seem, Chuck, because. Uh, if these kind of uh, goals are going to be put on agriculture, you, you need to make sure agriculture is involved in the process to reach them. There's no question about that, Mike. And as we've said all along, um, American agriculture needs to be recognized for the great contributions to sustainability and climate that we've already made. You know, we are the most efficient producers in the world, bar none. And, you know, we, we need recognition of that. We don't need, uh, you know, politicians getting together and, and forcing uh, things on us that, you know, are, are not feasible for the times that we're in, again, because we have done so much already under the current system. So voluntary has always been key to us. Uh, we know farmers are anxious to do things in the best possible way they can for the environment. But it's got to be economical. It's got to be science-based. So we'll watch these targets. Um, you know, we're not saying the president shouldn't be, you know, pushing this stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's sort of how you get there and particularly recognition for the fact that the vast majority of our producers across America are already uh, doing things, you know, in a very, very efficient, clean manner relative to uh, a lot of uh, other countries and uh, Let's be sure we uh, force it on those other countries uh, in addition to encouraging our farmers to be a part of this. Yeah, I think you hit on the the key points there. Will other countries make and honor these kind of commitments as well? Uh, Is it mandatory or voluntary approach? And does agriculture get credit for the things that they are already doing in uh, in these areas? So, yeah, there's a lot there that we'll be watching closely. Chuck, as always, appreciate your perspective. Thank you for being with us. You bet, Mike. Good to see you. Take care.
All right, take care. Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Well, we're going to talk much more about uh, these proposals and uh, this ag climate bill that has now passed out of the Senate Ag Committee. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk with Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. On this Earth Day, uh, we'll talk about the dairy industry's move, uh, continuing efforts in the area of sustainability, quite a record that they have uh, to talk about, and also thoughts on as we move in this direction of cutting greenhouse gas emissions and, and reducing our carbon footprint. Uh, talk about the types of programs that uh, are already out there and as we've talked about can we keep going in a voluntary effort uh, direction or is it going to come down to mandatory regulatory uh, ways of trying to get this done those are big questions we'll talk about it about concerning the dairy industry that's next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel diesel that doesn't mess around. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. 
The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. As I mentioned earlier, the Senate Ag Committee has approved the Growing Climate Solutions Act by a voice vote. The bill now goes on to be considered by the full Senate. We'll talk about that and other items today with Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, good to talk with you again. What are your thoughts on the Growing Climate Solutions Act? How does the dairy industry feel about it? Hey, good morning, Mike. It's great to be on with you again. And we're very excited about this bill. It's something we've supported since it was first introduced initially in 2020. And I would say that this legislation uh, by Senator Stabenow, the chair of the Senate Ag Committee, and Senator Braun really exemplifies the legislative process at its best, which we don't see every day in our politics these days. Senator Stabenow and Senator Braun and their staffs have been very collaborative, not just within the Senate, within both parties, but with stakeholders like us and many others, taking feedback, taking input, getting ideas. We've been talking with them as you know, for multiple years now, since even before last year when the bill was first introduced, about different ideas. And all those conversations that they had, I think, with a lot of different people uh, led to this bill as a really good starting point to help reduce some of the barriers that might uh, be preventing some farmers and foresters from participating in different kinds of environmental markets. And so, you know, there was a hearing on the bill last summer after it was initially introduced, and we submitted testimony at that time in support of the legislation. We were very excited to see it reintroduced this week with such broad bipartisan support. And then, as you said just a moment ago, culminating in, the, I think, a voice vote. I think it sounded like a unanimous vote when I was watching mm-hmm. it on the screen. I heard no, no votes. Uh, in the committee markup there. And so it looked like it was a, a full support in the Senate Ag Committee, which is great, uh, positioning it for uh, for the next steps ahead. Well, uh, we'll see where it goes, yeah, for those next steps ahead. But uh, anytime you get and get a bipartisan bill these days, that's a big accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, Paul, on this Earth Day, uh, certainly the dairy industry has a very strong and impressive message uh, to to tell about uh, how you, the industry is reducing its carbon footprint and moving more and more uh, in the area of sustainability. Yeah, no, I think we, we do have a very good story to tell, not just about what we've done, but about what we're continuing to do. I think as an example of what we've done, uh, just take four years ago, some analysis we've done about 2017, um, you know, producing a gallon of milk at that time in 2017 required 30% less water, 21% less land, and 19% smaller carbon footprint, and 20% less manure than it did just 10 years earlier in 2007. And obviously, if you go back to 2007, and you look even before that, you know, by 2007, producing one gallon of milk used 90% less land and 65% less water than in 1944 with a 63% smaller carbon footprint than at that particular time, 1944. So the strides we've made are significant, but we're going to continue making those strides. And that's why last year, National Milk and Dairy Industry Partners launched the Net Zero Initiative. And that's a two-part initiative. We've probably talked about it in conversations before with the goal of getting us to net zero carbon neutral by 2050 
but also to reduce some of the water quality challenges that we're facing in different watersheds around the country. So from a policy standpoint, there are many different tools in the toolbox that could be put forward and, and enacted to help us reach these goals. And I would say the Growing Climate Solutions Act is a big part of that because environmental markets are part of that effort as far as farmers being good proactive actors and just adding in additional incentives. And in many cases, it's about finding revenue streams and opportunities uh, for farmers to be able to undertake different practices or install different technologies that may have a cost associated with them. And at the heart of it, that's a lot of the work we're trying to do. And the Growing Climate Solutions Act, as one example, is very, very helpful in, in that regard. We're talking with Paul Bleiberg with the National Milk Producers Federation, uh, and you hit on a key area there, um, cost involved with making uh, some of these practice changes. Um, the, the, the Growing Climate Solutions Act help, would help establish the carbon markets and things like that. We keep hearing about revenue streams for, for agriculture. So that's going to be important to see, especially as the president is committing the country to cutting greenhouse gas emissions in half over the next decade, uh, how we get there, that's going to be the key. I, I think it, it, it is going to be key. And I think, you know, if you if you talk with Senator Braun and Jerome Stabenow, who have been leading, you know, not just this particular legislative effort, but other initiatives in this space as well, they will tell you that, you know, farmers have such a great role to play here. And it's very important that Ag have a seat at the table. And I think that's something that's shared by many different members of Congress and both political parties. And I think as, as long as that continues to be the case, as long as we continue to have the opportunity to engage as we've had and to put forward different ideas and to weigh in on ideas that are that are being developed by different you know, legislators or agencies or things like that, you know, we'll be able to move in that direction of unlocking revenue streams like I'm talking about, whether that's through tax credits or markets or you know, conservation programs in the Farm Bill. There are so many different tools in the toolbox that are helpful, I think, you know, many folks have said the Farm Bill is one of the biggest climate bills, if not the biggest climate bill that Congress does every few years, because the conservation title is so vital to, uh, you know, to the work that farmers do from a land, water, and sustainability standpoint, that every five years when Congress renews that bill, there are always new opportunities there. Uh, let's switch over to the uh, the new dairy donation program, an expanded program. Uh, give us your thoughts on that, and, and how will it work? Well, we're, we're very excited about this new program. This is Again, it's funny. We're talking about growing climate solutions, and now we're talking about dairy donation. Uh, this is also an item that Chairwoman Stabenow really spearheaded in legislation in the December coronavirus relief package, and it was something that House, former House Ag Chair Colin Peterson had also worked on last year as well. And uh, so we're very pleased to, to get this done. What this program is going to do, essentially, is allow dairy organizations, whether that be farmers or co-ops or processors or other entities, to partner with food banks and other distributors to donate dairy products of all kinds to food insecure households. Now, this program really builds on the milk donation reimbursement program that was created in the 2018 Farm Bill. And that was a very good initial effort uh, that Senator Stabenow put into that farm bill based on some of the good work being done in Michigan and kind of put a spotlight on what kind of potential there is here. The way this program is going to work, it, it's scaled up. In other words, it has a lot more funding. It has $400 million in funding, and it's open to all dairy products, not just fluid milk. And maybe just as importantly, and maybe more importantly, at a minimum, and I say at a minimum because USDA is still working through the final parameters of the program as they go through the rulemaking process, but at a minimum, the program is going to reimburse the eligible dairy organization for the full value of the raw milk uh, required to make the dairy product. Now, there may be other elements to that by the time the program is finalized, but based on the provisions of the statute, again, that Senator Sabinow had put into law in the COVID package, uh, in December, that that will be the reimbursement. So we're very excited about this. We think it has not just short-term, but also, frankly, long-term potential 
uh, going forward. And we're looking forward to working with USDA to kind of work out the final issues over the coming weeks here as they you know, finalize the program. Could this help avoid situations where, like we've seen in the past, where producers had to dump milk because of whatever disruption in the marketplace it may be? Absolutely. This program, by by being structured the way it is, by having the kind of reimbursement rate that it has that I described, this program will be very helpful from the standpoint of, you know, helping re- remove that disincentive that might have existed before to, to donate, because obviously there are these costs associated with doing that. This program will make that much more doable for, for folks. And so I think you're right. Having this program in place will help deal with that, with that challenge. The other thing it will do, to the degree that, you know, different products are bought up in different government programs is it will help us hopefully avoid uh, a repeat of some of what went on last year with the Farmers to Families Food Box program, which I know we spoke about last week. Uh, you know, the one downside from the dairy side for that program was just that there was a disparity between the kinds of the quantities of different products that were bought. Obviously, the program did provide important help, as we said last week, uh, but, you know, it did have its, its challenges, too, and the, the challenge that it had for us was that the cheese and butter spread was very wide in terms of the amount of, of each product that was bought into the program, and that caused some pricing challenges. The dairy donation program, on the other hand, because it's set up on this partnership-by-partnership basis that I described, hopefully will be a more uh, positioned to avoid a repeat of something like that because you know, you'll know you be looking at what's the demand on the ground from the individual food banks and things like that, and that may help us find a better balance there. That's not to say that dairy donation is the only outlet for product purchases going forward. I think, like I said last week, we're very much looking forward to working with USDA on TFAP and Section 32 and possibly other items as well. But with the dairy donation program being set up and finalized here, I just think it's important to make that point too. All right, so we'll watch that, and uh, hopefully that will be, uh, you know, another step forward for both the dairy industry and uh, obviously for those uh, needing uh, the the products, uh, the food. So, uh, hey, there's a lot going on right now, Paul, for sure. No, uh, there definitely is. It's a busy time on a lot of fronts. Yep, so we'll try to keep uh, track of all this. And, Paul, we appreciate the hearing from the dairy perspective, especially on this Earth Day. Good story to tell for the dairy industry. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We're going to keep telling that story. All right. Take care. Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. So, yeah, a lot going on. The expansion of the uh, dairy donation program, uh, the passage in the Senate Ag Committee, of the uh, Growing Climate Solutions Act, and we had, we see USDA raising rates to try to attract more acres into CRP. We have the president committing the U.S. to cutting greenhouse gas emissions in half over the next decade. Lots to talk about with our next guest, Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free 
and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Crop markets are having a tough time finding someone willing to sell. There is very little negative news in the market to stimulate traders to sell. Farmers don't own much old crop inventory and are afraid of selling very much of their new crop. Next week, the U.S. weather is expected to warm up. If planters are rolling, that takes away any of the bullish factors we are trading on this week. On the Board of Trade, May corn trading 10.5 cent higher at at 6.35 and a half cent. The July contract up seven and a fraction at 6.13 and three quarters. May soybeans trading 20 cents higher at 15.17 and a fraction. The July contract up 17 and three quarters at 14.97. For the wheats, Chicago wheat may up six cents at 6.79 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat may up nine and a fraction at 6.40. Minneapolis spring wheat may up 10 and a half cent at 6.89. The July contract up 10 and a half cent at 6.95 and three quarters. Cattle futures are not expected to show much upside potential prior to the cattle on feed report. Even if some numbers would be friendly to the market, the overriding influence will be increasing grain prices due to the uncertain growing season. Packers remain aggressive and fearful of tightening supplies, but prices cannot move higher indefinitely without impacting demand. Looking at live cattle on the Board of Trade, the June contract down 15 at 117.10, the August contract down 27 at 117.7. For feeder cattle, the May contract down a dime at 139.50. The August contract down 37 at 151.55. For lean hogs, the May contract up 27 at 107.87. The June contract up 92 at 105.45. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 143 points, the NASDAQ composite down 14, the S&P 500 down 9. The U.S. dollar index is trending higher. I'm Kirsten Rall. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
On a busy news day, we talk it over now with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, thanks for joining us. We've been talking about the Senate Ag Committee by a voice vote approving the Growing Climate Solutions Act. It now goes on to a full Senate uh, action or, or a vote on the full Senate floor. Uh, does ASA support this bill? Yes, we do, Mike. Uh, the American Soybean Association does support the Glo- Growing Climate Solutions Act, uh, and uh, we were a supporter last year. Uh, uh, this was bipartisan legislation. We think it makes a lot of sense, and uh, we also like it even more this year. Uh, Senator Bozeman, uh, ranking member on the on the Ag Committee, had worked with both uh, Senator Stabenow, Chairman Stabenow, as well as uh, uh, Senator Braun and others, and I think made some good good improvements there. So we think it makes a lot of sense, and we think it's overall positive. All right, so a big part of it is uh, having USDA involved in helping kind of create or build out this structure for carbon markets and a carbon bank, things like that, that we're hearing so much about. How do you see that working from your perspective? your background with USDA and, and back now with the American Soybean Association. How do you see this working for agriculture moving forward? Well, first of all, on the Growing Climate Solutions Act, I mean, that does not, uh, you know, is not in, in build out a carbon bank or anything like that. We think the reason that we support it, it makes sense. It provides a certification program for the for the providers, the technical service providers, who can work with farmers to help them navigate some of the carbon markets. Um, You know, there's a lot of of interest out there. There's a lot of private companies now that are starting to offer and and pay farmers, uh, you know, offer farmers contracts for carbon. Mm -hmm. And we think it's probably important that there is at least some minimum standards and some technical service providers that can help farmers navigate that. Uh, perhaps develop some common standards, um, as well as be able to connect farmers with some of the, the technical assistance resources that might be available from USDA to help them implement some of these practices so they can qualify for these payments, whether that be through the Conservation Stewardship Program, the EQUIP Program, or others. And so that really is the aim of the Growing Climate Solutions Act, and we think that makes a lot of sense. Because... It has to be confusing for farmers. They're, they're hearing all about these carbon opportunities, and, and as you said, some companies are already offering programs. I'm sure they're hearing about other opportunities that are out there. Um, it, you know, it has to be a bit confusing, and you, you're kind of wondering, which one should I go with or should I go with any? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to consider here. There is, there is, and and with everything, I mean, I think most of the, the the programs out there are good programs right now, but they're all a little bit different. And I think having you know some trained professionals that you know understand agriculture that that are certified by USDA to who are available to work with farmers to help them navigate that makes sense. And you know, inevitably, there probably will be some some snake oil salesmen that enter the marketplace as well. And being able to help farmers discern that no, this doesn't make sense, uh, and and watch out for these kinds of programs, I think is 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 worthwhile too, to not only get good information of things to look for, but also things to look out for. 
Yeah, you know that's going to happen, so you got to be aware of that. We're talking with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, again, drawing back on your time at the USDA, what do you think now of uh, USDA's uh, tr- uh, putting more money into CRP, trying to track more acres into that program, wanting to get another 4 million acres in uh, at a cost of around 300000 annually? Uh, uh, the numbers I've been looking at. You know, traditionally, historically, CRP participation is up when grain prices are low, and when grain prices are high like they are now, then the participation and interest in it goes down. Uh, So now you've got prices high, and the government also trying to get more acres into CRP. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, and and, and there is that tension that you point out very well, Mike. And uh, uh, that that is there. I th- I do think that at least what 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 I have been I have seen so far of their intentions are to try to pay more for some of those high cost practices, uh, whether those be riparian buffers or waterways or uh, you know things like that. Uh, getting getting some of the the practices out there. Um, that are in, um, you know, in, in areas and where they can implement certain practices uh, to protect water or to mitigate climate, uh, those do probably cost a little bit more. And I think they're really trying to target the program to try to attract more of those acres uh, that, are, that are higher cost. Uh, of course, Congress authorized it uh, at 24 million acres, and we're down to around 20 million acres right now. And so I think USDA probably did have to step up if they're going to try to get up to the authorized level. Yeah, I think I said 300,000 a year. The cost will be an additional 300 million a year, according to a White House statement. So that's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a bit more challenged to get those acres uh, right now with the markets as they are, but we will see how that plays out. Meanwhile, what are your thoughts on the president committing the U.S. to cutting greenhouse gas emissions in half over the next decade? Not a lot of details yet about how we're going to get there. Uh, what are your thoughts? Any concerns about that? Well, certainly we want to learn a whole lot more on this. And, and just like we at the American Soybean Association have been wanting to, to understand a whole lot more on uh, the president's 30 by 30 uh, uh, commitment as well to conserve 30 percent of our nation's land and water resources by 2030. Similarly, uh, there's not a lot of detail that's come out on that. What does that mean? Our, we want to make sure and, and similarly, about cutting greenhouse gas emissions, um, you know, it could, it could be very beneficial for agriculture um, if it's done through renewable fuels, uh, through working with, with, with farmers to try to help them implement practices that can sequester carbon, uh, and it can be another source of income. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, it could be some watch outs. I mean, if they're talking about, uh, you know, trying to retire productive land uh, and take it out of production, that's not the way to go. And certainly we at the American Soybean Association would have very strong concerns and be very much opposed to that. And a lot comes down to is, are they going to pursue a mandatory approach or will we continue with a uh, voluntary approach? That's huge for agriculture. 
It certainly is, and, and, and ASA squarely is in the voluntary approach category of working to, to with farmers and provide incentives and payments, um, you know, just like the Growing Climate Solutions Act that we talked about already, as well as, uh, you know, beefing up some of the other conservation programs that USDA has. Um, those programs have been oversubscribed, and it's an opportunity I think, to try to help more farmers voluntarily implement these practices to meet these goals. And certainly we hope that's the direction that they're going. Yeah, and we know there are a lot of those projects out there that farmers would be willing to do with some financial assistance and, and help on that. So we'll see where, where they go with that. Meanwhile, we're watching over at EPA, new Administrator Michael Regan telling Congress this week he does not intend to go back to the Obama administration's definition of waters of the U.S., but he also said they don't necessarily agree with everything in the new Trump administration, the new rule that was uh, passed during the Trump administration. So kind of wondering where we're going to go here on, on waters of the U.S. What are you seeing there? Well, we think it's good news. Uh, you know, his statement that they were not going to go back to the Obama definition of waters of the U.S., that was music to our ears and to a lot of farmers and ranchers' ears um, because they, we really do think that the, the, that the Obama administration went too far and it created way too, too much uncertainty and, and too wide a cast too wide of a net of what waters and what ground uh, would, be, would be covered by that. Um, you know, I, I have been, I think it's, it's great, uh, that the EPA administrator has uh, said that we're not going to go in that direction, that they want to consult with farmers and ranchers. Um, and, uh, so we welcome that. And, uh, you know, we think that there is a way, um, you know, hopefully they will listen, um, to the input that they're receiving and, and uh, but I think as a first step, it's great to, to announce flat out that they're not going to go back to that previous definition. And real quick, Steve, before we let you go, we're seeing a uh, increased demand uh, for renewable diesel. This is good news for the biodiesel industry. Some analysts saying this could create the kind of boon we saw for ethanol a few years ago. Yeah, we're we are seeing a lot of of plants uh, for renewable diesel plants going in on the books, a lot of expansions that are currently underway. There's going to be plants coming online. I know uh, the National Biodiesel Board, who we partner and work with uh, a lot, uh, you know, they're, they're envisioning that we could be up to 6 billion gallons by 2030, and that's up from around 3 billion gallons of, of biodiesel and renewable diesel today. So, doubling in you know the course of of just uh, nine years and that, that could create a lot of demand uh, and so we are seeing that 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 demand and there seems to be you know more and more companies that are announcing plans all the time yep some exciting news there lots going on steve thank you for joining us appreciate it great thanks thanks mike Take care. Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Well, damage assessment going on to the winter wheat crop. We're going to check in with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, for an update next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people 
lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. 
Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So I'm starting to lose track of how many times I've called Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, concerned about the condition of the uh, the winter wheat crop because there's been another weather uh, event well we've had another one this week more cold and snow and all kinds of winter weather here in late april so justin uh what's what's the report this time uh, any damage oh hey mike it's good to talk to you again i appreciate you reaching out and you know the with the winter wheat crop and the amount of lives that it has and the ups and downs and roller coaster ride it becomes job security and talking to you i guess on some of these freeze events, but um, certainly there was a lot of attention this week. We've got we had two nights of uh, below freezing temperatures that came that came through the southern plains, and there was a lot of attention not just on that Kansas hard red winter wheat crop, but also a little bit further south, and then also a little bit further east, soft red winter uh, wheat country, where uh, those cold temperatures may may have had a significant impact. But time will tell. You know, obviously. Uh, winter wheat's a hardy crop, uh, but boy, this one has taken a lot of hits. Well, it certainly did. You know, it, it, uh, it's been a roller coaster ride with this crop being pretty dry in the fall, and then the uh, record cold temperatures that we had, and the scare of winter kill in February. Uh, but then the crop, we had a, one of the wettest marches we've had on record, and so the crop really responded well and it was looking really good. But then uh, this week, uh, uh, it took a little bit of a setback, but uh, we had freezing temperatures on Tuesday night uh, that uh, that got a lot of attention. But with that that Tuesday storm and the cold temperatures, we actually did get one to four inches of snow that came with it. So I, I had uh, farmers that were sending me some reports from their fields and where they showed maybe 24 degrees in the ambient air temperature. But when they got down underneath that snow cover in the canopy, mm-hmm. it was still around 32 degrees. So at that, that Tuesday event, we think that the crop probably was, was going to be okay. Uh, the ground temperature was warm enough. That snow melted off really quick. It was probably gone by mid-afternoon. Uh, but then the uh, sky cleared out, and we got uh, uh, even lower temperatures on Wednesday night. That I think a lot of people will be watching. We had mid-teens in western Kansas and mid-20s in, uh, in central part of the state. And with our crop being about 50% jointed right now, I think that's uh, going to be 
uh, a lot of people will be watching to see what happens. Now, you remember last year <laughs> when we were talking, we had that April freeze event, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, where it, it really dinged the crop pretty good. But as we talked to follow up after that freeze event, the weather conditions after that freeze event, we had really good moisture, cool temperatures. And even when we had lost some of those primary tillers because of that Easter freeze a year ago, that crop was able to come back on and make some secondary tillers to bring on some heads because we had favorable conditions. So something we're watching really closely, Mike, is this weekend's forecast and, and maybe what's uh, what's going to be coming in May. Uh, you know, we had in Dodge City, Kansas and southwest Kansas, uh, we got down to around 22 degrees on Wednesday. And then this Sunday they're forecasting uh, 30-mile-an-hour uh southern winds with temperatures to get up in the, the mid-80s to maybe uh, just below 90. So that's that's the opposite of the, what we had last year. And if you have a freeze event, it's, it's not, not the ideal conditions you want to see follow it. Yeah, what a roller coaster. But as you said, uh, we'll see what the damage may or may not be th- uh, from this week. But that that blanket of snow kept it from being worse, whatever it is. Well, it certainly that that was a that was really good. You know, it it actually added a little bit of moisture that we were needing. It gave insulation to the crop, and so for the most part, thinking that the hard red winter wheat in, in Kansas probably isn't going to be hit as bad, uh, and you know, time will tell. But we're you know we weren't far as far along as maybe some of the southern crops. Uh, Oklahoma actually uh, had reports from Oklahoma where. A farmer got down to 24 degrees, and his crop's actually uh, 50% headed. And so that, there could be a little bit more damage a little bit farther south um, that we're going to keep an eye on. And I think a lot of the trade's probably more concerned about the Oklahoma crop uh, and then maybe uh, some of the softer winter wheat areas uh, than we are with uh, the Kansas crop right now, Mike. Yeah. Well, very rarely do you get a, a year without any challenges, but this one seems to have had more than its share. No, it, it certainly has. You know, there, uh, the, the winter wheat tour is going to be in person uh, this year. And last year, they weren't able to do it uh, due to, to COVID precautions. And so there's going to be a lot of attention. That that tour will take place on May 17th. Uh, so crop scouts will get out and be able to see the crop after, you know, that's, you know, uh, about three to four weeks after these this freeze event. So crop scouts will be able to do some infield reporting and have a better handle on exactly what kind of damage we might have might have had with with this event. But I, I would guess there'll be a lot of attention to that uh, the the hard red winter wheat tour that happens the week of May seventeenth, Mike. Yep, we'll be watching that one closely. You mentioned moisture; you got some uh, needed precipitations. It's like there's always a need for precipitation, especially throughout Kansas. What is the situation overall when it comes to moisture? Well, there's it varies across the state as it normally does, but that's that uh, Colorado Western Kansas border is still uh, in, in drought areas, and it's going to the crop actually that got planted early, uh, earlier planted crop is, is established and and is looking okay. The later planted crop that hasn't had the moisture to work with is probably the one uh, area that we're probably more concerned about. Uh, overall, with moisture in the southern plains, we're probably sitting a lot better than what we're seeing in the northern plains and the Dakotas. Uh, with the spring wheat crop going in and getting started. Uh, so as far as moisture goes, you know, we're certainly going to need, uh, uh, you know, a good May uh, to finish this crop out, but we're probably sitting a little bit better than where we were afraid we were going to be uh, a month ago, Mike. 
All right, well, get ready. I'll call you if there's another weather challenge, okay? <laughs> well, I would say it's always good to hear from you, except we're always I'm always hearing from you when there's challenges with the crop. But yeah. uh, I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you, and thanks for all you do for agriculture. You were expecting to hear from me, weren't you? <laughs> I was. I was. <laughs> okay. All right, Justin. Take care. Thanks. Justin Gilpin, CEO Thanks. of Kansas Wheat. All right. Coming up tomorrow, more reaction to uh, the administration pledging to cut greenhouse gas emissions in half over the next decade and USDA trying to track more acres in the CRP. Lots going on. Stay with us. We'll try to keep you up to date right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.